morning. Good morning. That's a lot better. Hey, welcome. Welcome to Seacoast. My name is Pastor Dale. If you have a Bible, if you don't, there's some extras in the back on the tables as you come in. Open to John chapter 6 today. John chapter 6. We're in a series called The Hunger Games. It's about the hungers of the heart, hungers of the soul, the things that drive us in life to do why we do to, to, uh, to do what we do and why we do it. But it's really more a series about Jesus. It's a series of a study of John chapters 4 to 11 where Jesus really comes out in his public ministry and begins to explain to the world exactly who he is. But what we see is this constant theme of Jesus addressing the hungers of our heart. Often he leaves with miracles. We saw last week, for example, if you weren't here, one of the universal hungers of the heart that we often express in prayer is, Lord... Uh, I'm sick, my friends are sick, heal me, right? We want health. It's the hunger for healing, the hunger for health. And we saw some miraculous healings by Jesus. But as we studied it last week, just to kind of set the context for where we are today, here's what we learned in a nutshell. It's that Jesus healed to foster a faith that needs no healing. In other words, it wasn't about really Jesus saying, hey, look at me, I'm the great physician. Anytime you get sick, I'm going to heal you. The reality was Jesus did heal, can heal, and he still heals today. So don't be afraid to pray for healing. But our expectations shift when we realize that Jesus also left a lot of people uh, unhealed and needing to trust him in sickness and in health. So it's a faith that understands that We are healed forever by Christ. Eternal health, eternal life is promised. And let that be our focus. Today we're going to look at another universal hunger. And I call it the hunger for feed me. Okay? (laughs) You know, to me, I picture Oscar the Grouch. I don't know, coming up as the big puppet saying, feed me. You know, one more cookie. You know, it's it's a cookie monster. Is that right? Okay, I get my Sesame Street characters mixed up. I'm sorry. But the the reality is someone else told me, Dale, that's from a whole different movie. But, but, But the reality is this. A lot of times I think of that, feed me. You know, God, I need your provision. And we're going to look today at a story where Jesus proves that he can definitely deliver as the great provider. But we're going to also look at these stories and we're going to see that like last week, maybe the object and the purpose behind Jesus' provision is different than we might think. And it really plays into my expectations. Because I need to realize as I walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ as one of his followers, when I pray, Lord, heal me, what are my expectations? When I say, God, provide for me. God, I need a job. God, I need more income. God, if I have a job, I need a better job. God, if I have a better job, I need a newer, better job. God, if I have this, you know, we often feel that sense, especially in, in, in our American culture, that we still need how much? More. You know, we still need more. Or if we have more, we need new. And if we have new, we need better. <laughs> more newer better it drives at least a lot of my life if i'm not watching over the hungers of my heart so how do we think of jesus as our provider and what are our expectations pray with me and we'll look at a great story in which he indeed provides father god thank you for your lord our lord jesus thank you for sending your son lord jesus thank you for coming and giving us life Thank you for giving us the word of God that we can study and listen to and learn from. So I pray, Father, as we study it together today and study you as our great provider, that you would uh, teach us 
uh, how we should think about you, how we should walk with you in Christ's name. Amen. Take your Bibles, open to John chapter 6. There's an outline provided, as always, to help you if you want to track with me uh, through the message. The setting is what I call one hungry mob. Here it goes. Chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus last week was doing miracles, many miracles. It says, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or to Tiberias. Because a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs that he was performing on those who were sick. So the context is this. The movement keeps growing. And Jesus increasingly now finds himself being followed around wherever he goes by mobs, by crowds who want to see a miracle or experience a miracle for themselves. So the movement is growing and Jesus uh, decides, I want to get alone with my heavenly father and my disciples. Now, what I want to do is we're going to read John 6 together, but I want to fill in the blanks because this miracle we're about to study is really significant. One reason I know that, I mean, all of scripture is significant, but very few of the miracles of Jesus are actually reported in all four gospels. This is one of them. For some reason, God thought this was so important that when he inspired not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but all four of them include this story. So as I've looked this week and studied all four accounts, I'll, I'll kind of fill in the blanks a little bit with the context from the other three accounts. What's been going on here is Jesus is seeing the movement grow. He's being mobbed more and more by people looking to have another miracle and he decides it's time to get alone with his disciples and his follower one reason was this the scriptures tell us elsewhere that he had just received news that john the baptist had been beheaded john the baptist the one that baptized jesus in the jordan the one that uh, anticipated the coming of jesus as messiah john the baptist that jesus actually calls in scripture the greatest man who ever lived that's pretty, can you imagine Jesus calling you the greatest man who ever lived? And that's what he called John the Baptist. So to have his beloved friend and, 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 and forerunner John literally lose his head for his convictions. His head was chopped off and delivered on a platter to, you know, in, in a sick story that, uh, that displays how, how depraved people are at times. And, but John has just been beheaded. His disciples have come and told Jesus. Jesus says, you know something, let's get away and get alone with God for a while. So he crosses the, the Sea of Galilee. It's the only way he can get away from the mobs. After all, if he just walks around, the mobs just walk with him. So he gets in a boat with his disciples. He crosses over to Tiberias, and he goes up on a hillside to get alone with God. But guess what? The mobs find him before long, and they show up again. So this is the context. Verse 2, a large crowd followed him because they saw the miracles or signs he was performing on those who were sick. Verse 3, then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now it was Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes, seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, and paused there for a minute, he goes into action to set up this miracle. When Jesus sees this crowd coming, one of the other gospels said this, seeing the people coming, he felt compassion for them. And, he's, and, he, and he used that statement he used a couple times in his life. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Man, they're just like lost sheep that are wandering, looking for a shepherd. Uh, and he knew that he was their good shepherd. He had compassion 
for these people. So even though he was trying to get some alone time with God and with his heavenly Father and with his disciples, he welcomes the crowd. He begins to do more miracles, it says. So he's been performing miracles. The crowd is growing in size. And then this gospel tells us the significant challenge. Jesus, lifting up his eyes, seeing the large crowd, he says to Philip, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? So he turns to his disciples, Philip, where are you going to go get bread to feed these folks? Let's go get some food. Now his disciples had just told him, Lord, why don't we close down for the day, send everyone home? Because the crowd is big, they're getting hungry, and, and nightfall is not too far away. So the disciples, we know from the other accounts, had already said to Jesus, let's call it a day and send these people home. Man, they're hungry. But Jesus has a different plan. So Jesus instead continues to heal, and then finally he goes into action. He says to Philip, Philip, um, where are you going to go to get food for these folks? Now to back up one little slide, here we go. The crowd was about 20,000 people. The scriptures say that there were 5,000 men, but the other gospels add, and their women and children. So if you even assume a very modest estimate, there was at least probably 20,000 plus as these families were at Passover, journeying to Jerusalem perhaps. The crowd is massive. So you've got to picture probably at least 20,000. So Jesus asked, where are we going to get the food? So he's ready to go shopping. Where are we going to get the food? And, and Philip responds with a different question. With what? <laughs> I like that. Jesus says, where are you going to go? You've got to go into town and get some food. You know, it's like, we're we going to go to In-N-Out. We're we going to go to Taco Bell. Where are you going to get the, you know, where are you going to get the Happy Meals, right? So, so but, the, but Jesus, you know, Philip says, Lord, it's not a matter of where we're going to get it. With what are we going to buy it? Because that was the issue with the disciples fell. Okay, Lord, we could go off and try to get it, but with what? And he makes a statement. He says this. He says, it would take, here it is in the passage. Let me find it again. Verse 7. He says, it would take 200 denarii worth of bread and even that would not be sufficient for them for everyone to even receive a little. Now, 200 denarii, I can't relate to that, so let me help you. A denarii was basically, uh, one denarii was about one day's wage for a common man. So let's just translate it to today. If you, if you run the math out at, a, at, at minimum wage here in California, this was probably about... $15,000 worth. 200 denarii would translate today in our economy to maybe 15 grand. So you got to see the disciples, you know, because, you know, they didn't travel with much at all, right? And they're saying, Lord, if, if, if I had 200 days worth of income, okay, if we had about 15 grand at minimum wage even, uh, it wouldn't be enough to buy even a, even a small amount to feed all these people. In other words, even with the $1 taco special, okay, even with the 99 cent special, you could only cover, oh, maybe 15,000. There's at least 20,000 people. So, you know, it's, Lord, this is impossible. So Jesus, because he had a purpose, it says in the text, Jesus asked this because he was testing his disciples. And one of the disciples, Andrew, verse 8, pick it up. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, Hey, there is a lad here who has five loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many? Now, a lot of times people at this story uh, stop and, and they preach this passage, teach it, and the, and the hero of the story is who? 
Yeah, it's the little boy, right? And the other story is we need to be like the little boy. We need to bring whatever we have, give it to Jesus. And then Jesus will do miraculous things with whatever we give him. Now, that is probably true, but I don't think that's why Jesus did this miracle. In fact, if you study the accounts, there's no indication this little boy came and said, Lord Jesus, can I give you my loaves and my fish? And here, here's my contribution. Now, the, I, here's what I think was probably going on in the culture. And that is the little boy's mom sees the mob, uh, the, you know, the gathering, the large event going on, and probably gave the kid a basket of bread and fish and said, go make a buck and, in fact, double the price, you know, because it's mob time, okay? So, you know, I don't know, but I think this was a young entrepreneur who was off making some money, and, and, and he hears, hey, where are we going to buy enough for these people? Well, we're going to go to buy it. And the kid says, hey, I can help you out. Here you go, buy mine. I mean, that's a good start. So I think the kid is actually a business guy, and he's a good one. So the lesson of the story is, if you have an opportunity, sell more bread, okay? So that's, anyway, so anyway, I think, I like this kid. I like this kid. But I don't think he's the star of the story. So what was the big lesson of the story? Verse 8, pick it up. So Jesus says, uh, here's a lad with five loaves, two fishes, verse 9. So Jesus says, have the people sit down. And the other gospel accounts adds a little more detail. He says, have them sit down in groups of 50 or 100 per group. Because Jesus knows about what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. And he knows what the consequence is going to be. So he has the people. It says that, and there was much grass in that mountainside. So they got a nice grassy carpet. Have everyone sit down and separate themselves into groups of 50 to 100. So you got some paths between them so you can serve them up. And then Jesus does his miracle. It says, and Jesus took the loaves and having give thanks, he says a prayer. He thanks his heavenly father for the provision. And then he begins to distribute that to those who were seated. Likewise, also with the fish as much as they wanted. In other words, people said, hey, if you want more, Jesus must have told them, stay in your groups We'll bring it to you, and we probably got some volunteers. Maybe he said, hey, in groups of 50 and 100, each group, send somebody up with a basket, and Jesus begins to fill the baskets, and every time they bring another empty basket, Jesus turns around, gives it back to them full, okay? I don't know exactly how this happened, but this is incredible. So Jesus is taking basket, sending basket after basket of, of bread and fish, bread and fish. And by the way, guys, if you want more, just raise your hand, okay? And, you know, or text message in, okay? But, but the reality is, as they did that, it says they ate all they wanted. So now you got probably 20,000 people being fed all that they want. All out of that initial bread and fish as Jesus miraculously multiplied it. Then he ends with this, verse 12. And then when they were filled... He said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments or leftovers from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, the response comes. So the solution, if I were to capture it, is this. Jesus plus whatever is plenty. Now, that's a little different. I want you to think about that. See, I think Jesus is driving home the lesson that, you know something, when you walk with me, sometimes you're going to have way more than you need. Other times you're going to have 
Almost nothing. But Jesus plus whatever equals plenty. Now, did they get that lesson? The reaction was they were amazed by Jesus, but they missed it. And Jesus calls them out when he begins to explain how they responded. Look at verse 14 with me. Here's the response. Therefore, when the people saw the sign or miracle which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him their king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And then we have a story in verse 16 to uh, 25 that we're not going to teach today. But Jesus escapes to be alone. He sends his disciples down to a boat. And he sends uh, the disciples across the sea again, trying to get away from the mob. And Jesus stays behind alone. Now, you know the story we're going to skip. We'll teach it to you at another, another time. Another great classic story. Remember, the disciples go out in the boat. It's, uh, remember, this is, this is right before dark when he feeds the mob. So now it's nighttime. Uh, Jesus sends them out. Uh, the Sea of Galilee was known, by the way, and is known today for violent storms being able to come up very quickly that can be deadly at times. Uh, they're in a small boat crossing uh, by, without Jesus. The storm comes up. This is the story where Jesus then comes down and says, I don't need a boat. <laughs> Jesus comes walking on the water. They see Jesus coming, scares him to death. Um, and then, they, then they find out it's Jesus. And Peter says, okay, Lord, if it's really you, ask me to come up, uh, come out to you. And Peter gets out, walks on water for a while, and then whoosh, goes in, you know, takes the dunk. Uh, you know, and um, Jesus rescues him, gets in the boat. And it's a great story as they cross back over the sea again. That's for another day. But the reason I point that out is this. When people teach through the scriptures, always when you're asking, why did Jesus do this? What, what was it he, wa- he wanted us to learn? Before you just try to figure it out yourself, see if Jesus tells you the answer. And in this case, he does. Because he goes back to what happened in the feeding of the 5,000 plus, the 20,000, and he explains it in verse 26. Because now he's crossed back over, the crowds have again come around and found him. And this is what he teaches them, verse 26. So this is the point Jesus wanted us to get, I believe. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Underline the word give. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal, that is, seal of approval. Therefore they said to Jesus, uh, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. So it's not about doing any works. It's about faith. It's about that's the work God wants you to do is just believe in me. Put your trust in me. And I think what we what we begin to see as we 
kind of uh, listen to Jesus' commentary, let me begin to unfold it for you, are a series of, of short lessons because they had missed the point. Now, I'm going to back up one slide to show you what I mean, mean when I said they missed the point. They said first, this guy must be the great prophet. And Jesus was a prophet, but a whole lot more. And then it says they, they tried to, Jesus knew they were getting ready to organize and just say, man, we're, we're, we're going to lift you on our shoulders and make you our king. They were, you know, and we won't let you get away. Okay. You have to be our king. And Jesus says, I'm not here just to be your king. Now, eventually Jesus will be a king, but not yet. And then they were excited about well, you know, you want to be my disciple because I filled your belly. I provided for you. You know, and Jesus is saying that's not why you should follow me. In other words, I am a provider, but I'm far more than the provider of the good life that you want. So they were, they were, they were amazed but missing it. See that? They were amazed but missing it. So what was it Jesus said they were missing? Now we'll go to the reaction or and jesus said this number one look beyond the provision to the provider he says it's human nature that when god provides for you or when i feed you and i care for you or i protect you from the fires this week or whatever it is that when i do those things you get so excited about what i do for you that you miss the point in other words jesus is saying i think i don't want you to have I don't want you to try to earn my provision. You know, I love you. I'm going to take care of you if you just follow me, trust in me. That's my nature. So Jesus is saying, don't get so excited about what God provides for you. Get excited about the provider, not the provision. I love, uh, I love the fact that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in Matthew 6, uh, he's talking to them about, he says, you know something? He says, live this way. He says, lay up treasure in heaven where it, where it will last for eternity. Invest your life in eternal things, not temporal things. Because, uh, and then he goes into this explanation. He says, because uh, you can't really love God and love your stuff or your provisions, your money. Uh, you're going to love one more than the other. So make sure you keep your love for God as your focus because if you start loving what God provides for you, next thing you know, you'll be loving it more than you do God himself. I love the fact that Jesus goes on and he says, don't you look around and realize that even the sparrows, even, even, even a simple little uh, bird, it, you know, even God takes care of it, he feeds it. Uh, you know, don't you realize the lilies of the field that are here today and they get burned up tomorrow? We saw a lot of that this week. Don't you realize that the grasses and the lilies of the field, you know, yeah, they, they're here today, they're burned up tomorrow. Don't you realize that, that, that God clothes them, cares for them? And then he ends with this in verse 33. This is Matthew 6:33. if you're writing it down. Here we go. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. They'll be provided. In other words, if you demonstrate that your trust is in me and you realize how much I love you and what I'm doing for you by later dying on the cross for you, then let that be enough for you to say, Lord, I trust you to provide for me. Put your faith in the provider, not the provision. Which leads to the second point in verse 27. Look at it. It says, do not work... 
for the food that perishes, for stuff that perishes. I think you could take the word food and, and, and put in there provision, jobs, income, prosperity, whatever you want to put in there. He says, don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. See, what Jesus is saying, get excited about eternal things, not temporal stuff. So the very provision that Jesus did, I mean, he feeds them this amazing miracle meal. And then he says, but don't get excited about one more miracle meal. Get excited about the miracle person of Jesus. Get excited about the fact that I will uh, be your Savior. I will be your God. I will give you eternal life. And there's eternal stuff that you ought to get real excited about much more than just one more miracle meal in your belly. Get excited about eternal things. Number three, believe in me. Believe in Jesus as the true bread of life. Look at verse 29. This is the work of God. If you want to know, because they say, okay, God, what, what is the work of God so we can do it so that we get this, this eternal stuff? And Jesus says, look, this is the, quote, work of God. Just believe. Believe in me whom he has sent. So the, the third thing is, you need to see that I'm doing these miracles so that you believe in me. And take it to the next level, verse 35. He says in verse 35, And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. So the emphasis is, look, Believe, trust in me that I will satisfy the hungers of your life. I will satisfy you. Uh, it's amazing to me that um, what Jesus does in a way is I see him miraculously feeding them and then telling them, don't be excited about this. Let the miracle get you excited about me and that I am the real bread that you need. I am the bread of life. I provide eternal life to you. I provide eternal purpose to your life. Uh, do, the, do the works that are eternal, not temporal. Get excited about that as my followers. I guess what I see in the American church today is there is a temptation to try to sell Jesus to the culture by saying, you know, if you follow Jesus... He will give you all the better stuff here on earth. Um, he will provide for all of your needs. He'll make sure you have a job. He'll make sure that you get this and that. He'll make you healthy and wealthy and successful. And, and he will give you a wonderful life and a wonderful marriage and everything else. And he will protect you in the fires and all this stuff. You know, and, and the reality is Jesus doesn't say that. I think what he says is this. Let my miracles show you who I am. And then knowing who I am, and then you fast forward to the cross, knowing what I do for you on the cross, if I would die for you that you might have eternal life, relax. Relax and trust me 
with the details of this short life that you have on earth. He's saying that, look, I care for you, but there's more at stake than another meal. I always cringe a little bit whenever we go through a tragedy like we did this week. Because what I cringe a little bit is, is I hear someone interviewed and, and the fire came to the edge of their property and it went around their house. And, and there's always this tendency to say, you know, uh, I just thank God that God, God was watching over me. He loved me. He protected me. I know that it was just, it was just a God thing. You know, that plays well when the fire goes around your house. But what about to the follower of Jesus whose house burns down? Did God love one more than the other? Did, was God with this one and not with his neighbor? You know, I think we need to be very careful as Christians uh, reading into every event that, okay, this is the direct hand of God, uh, you know, because I'm a follower of Jesus and, you know, because, you know, something next month you may find yourself on the other side of a tragedy. You know, my observation in life um, and in the scriptures is that I really believe that God allows his followers um, to go through probably the same amount of pain, suffering, and tragedy um, as those who don't believe in him. I haven't found any statistics that would really tell me that in an earthquake or a flood or a tornado or a firestorm that the odds are better if you're a Christian. Now, is that, does that rattle your faith? I hope not. I'd really challenge you to stop and think, why would God do that? Let me ask it this way. What do you think the Christian church would be like if God put a bubble, a protective bubble around every Christian and they never got sick, never got a disease, never died, never experienced tragedy? Can you play that out in your mind and imagine what this audience would be like today? I think we'd be packed. But I think we'd be very, very unhealthy. I think everyone would want to be a Christian just because you want the bubble. You want the protection. You want the provision. Let me ask it another way. What kind of a Christian does the world need if the world is a place of pain and suffering right now? If because of sin and death and everything that goes with it, if the, if the world in which those that do not know Christ live in and that we live in is, is a place of pain and suffering. We did a series on this last year called Everybody Hurts. If you're new to Seacoast, go back to last, uh, last spring and summer and listen to some of those messages. We're loading them up to the new website right now. See, you know what the world needs? The world does not need Christians who live in bubbles. The world needs Christians who, who experience the same type crud and pain that the rest of the world experiences. But they learn to walk with Christ through the pain. And they see God's provision, but it's His provision to take care of you and to give you joy 
whether you are experiencing great provision or whether you're hungry. It's a fact of life that sometimes God will let His children go hungry. So I don't think you teach this passage as a, as a universal promise that if you follow Jesus, you'll never be hungry, at least physically. The times are you will encounter the same ups and downs of the economy and everything else. And, and at times we're going we're gonna to be blessed with plenty in which we should give praise to God and thank Him for it. And at times we will have to go through times of, of, um, of, of lack and, and, um, and of scarcity. At times the fire goes around your house, at other times the fire may take your house out. And in either case, the question is, Jesus says, if you get to know me, you should know I am the bread of life. Let me satisfy you. Let me care for you. Let me be the one that if you have me, then you can be the neighbor that people go to because they say, you know something, they lost their, they lost everything, but yet they seem to be able to still have joy. That's the type of faith I think God wants to nurture in us. And I think that is what Jesus was, was disappointed at. Was see, you know, he says, you, you all want me to be your prophet, king. You want to follow me because I feed you. He says, no, I want you to instead feast on me. Feast on my grace. In fact, that's the last point of the morning. I want you to marvel so much at the grace of God provided by me And he goes on in verse 35 to 40 to explain that grace. Just listen to it as we close. Verse 37. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. He's talking about people coming to faith in him. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, meaning his Father, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. If I could summarize it, here's what Jesus is saying. Look, get excited about the fact that I give you eternal life. The Father gives me to you. And then you come to faith and The Father now says, Lord Jesus, these are your people. I give them to you. And and in this mystery of the grace of God, it's like God gives us faith. And then God gives us life. And God gives and he gives and he gives. And in the passage, Jesus says, look, don't ask me what should I do to work the works of God. Just believe and he will give you eternal life. It's all a gift. Our faith, our life is a gift from God. And if we understand that, you get so excited about Jesus that you can trust Him to provide what you need through the ups and downs of life. That is trusting the bread of life. Pray with me. Father God, thank You so much for the incredible provision of Jesus. Thank you for how he shows his miraculous powers to provide. To provide not just for us and for our families, but for a a mob of hungry people. But thank you, Lord Jesus, that even as he does that, 
that He wants us to, to come to such a faith in Him that we can walk through life and we can learn from whatever we go through and we can be salt and light and we can be a source of life to those around us. Not because we are always fat and sassy and happy, but because we have a, we have a faith in the God who will meet our needs no matter what. We love you. We thank you for our great provider, the one that gives us life indeed and life eternal. We worship you in response to that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to engage in the Lord in worship with another song, and then I really encourage you, do not leave, because our service is going to conclude around a pool out there where for just about five minutes you'll experience the joy of some new followers of Jesus expressing their faith in Him in baptism. And if you would even decide today, you know something, I think as a new follower of Christ, my faith is in Him, I want to be baptized. We've actually got some extra big black T-shirts and towels. If you decide, I want to do it today, then you just talk to Pastor Ryan out by the pool, okay? Let's worship.